This is the Anthony Rogers Show. 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 Anthony Rogers. Hey, this is Jordan Belfort, the real Wolf of Wall Street, and you're listening to the Anthony Rogers Show. This call is now being recorded. Welcome back to the greatest show in the universe. In studio, we have Bruce. Yo. Uh, Ryan. What's up? And online, we have uh, uh, author and a million other things we're getting to. Uh, Ralph Griffith, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Anthony. How's it back there in St. Louis? You are in St. Louis, right? Yes, sir. The best city on oh. earth. Uh, all right. I, I hear you. Yeah, my <laughs> family was back, back that way a long time ago. I think it was back with Jesse James and those guys, but... Okay, yeah. Yeah. your family got great taste. There yeah, we got we go way back there. So let me go but over I'm, you. I'm gonna intro you a little bit first because like you have some crazy shit. And I, I, I we spent like three hours time. Like, this is like okay, spent over 30 years off and on the Federal Bureau of Prisons for bank robberies uh, and once for counterfeiting. Yeah, I began yeah. writing 14 years ago. Let's start with that first. So you were in jail for 30 years for counterfeiting and bank robberies. Yep. Yeah, I was. Feds don't play around. <laughs> I mean, you get a lot of time off of You know what I mean? Dude, you yeah. get a lot of money, but you get a lot of time. You know, if I'd have been in state joints, I wouldn't have done that much time. But, oh, look so, at Bernie. They gave him 150 years, you know. So so you, how do you rob a bank? Like, uh, I mean, the banks? Yeah. I, I, I would I would do takeovers, you know. I'd just go in and take the whole bank over, and I'd jump behind the counter, and I'd do a sweep. I'd go through if they didn't have a vault. And uh, there were different there, – there were different – Different banks, and it, it it morphed over the years. How I was in the business. I started in 1983. 1983, I started, and uh, you know, I got out here two years ago. So. So you um I'm, you're also you you were you go into banks and take them over. Like what do you mean, like guys with guns and stuff? You go in like a bunch of guys deep and like just take over. The no, shit? no, never went in with a bunch of guys. You know, most of that is horseshit. You know why? Let me tell you why most of that is horseshit. I know guys that do that. There's not that much money in there. Every time you see a person, you're cutting it in half or thirds or quarters, right? You know, and I was a greedy son of a bitch. I figured I could do it all myself, which I did. (laughs) (laughs) How much money have you made through bank robberies? Allegedly, like we almost said. I, I really, you know. You know, the last judge asked me, he said, how many banks have you done? I said, well, honestly, your answer is, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's like I tried to figure it out one time and I couldn't remember. You know, I don't know if I'm in like in the world Guinness Book of Records or what, you know. And it's not something that I really am, you know, I don't brag about it. It's not something, I mean, it's something I did, you know. There's a lot of other things about my life that are a lot more interesting a lot of people, like I was with, I was down in LA and a guy was recording me and, and he wanted to talk about banks. And I said, well, we can do that. I said, um, you know, there's a difference between what people learn on watching movies and television and the reality of situations, you know, and I think that's a problem in this country is they glamorize crime so much that a lot of young kids get out there and by the time they figure out, hey, it wasn't that glamorous. It's too late, you know, they're in there doing a lot of time. Just like when I wrote Monkey House about being in the, you know, Federal Bureau of Prisons, uh, I was in a place called 
Butner, North Carolina, and had a concentration of the most powerful criminals in the entire planet. Not just Bernie Madoff and Jonathan Pollard and Nikki Scarfo and Carmine Persico and Joy Testa. I was with people from the Russian mafia there. The feds, they, they kidnapped people from all over the world. You were on terrorist, uh, I mean, just unbelievable serial killers that, they, you know, I didn't know who in the hell a lot of these guys were. And all of a sudden, they said, oh, yeah, uh, Larry's going to be on 60 Minutes uh, Sunday night. You know, I'm saying, Larry who? You know, the guy you're sitting there eating lunch with every day. I said, you're shitting me, you know. But she was a serial reality, Yeah. Reality. Larry Hall, yeah, he's killed about, they think he killed over 50 women. He was uh, into Civil War reenactments. Actually, that's back in your part of the country there. He was from uh, Indiana. His father was uh, Sexton. He grew up in one of the oldest cemeteries in the state of Indiana. Uh, him and his twin brother, you know, grew up. I mean, it was like the Munsters, but for real, you know what I mean? Sounds like a B movie waiting to be made. Yeah, really. Well, sometimes I'd walk in there in the chow hall, and I, I felt like I was in the night of the living dead, you know. Well, yeah, I had a uh, question. This is Ryan. Um, I don't know if you're up with current events, but the whole Epstein thing about how he uh, committed suicide in prison. I mean, you right. being in there, uh, you have a unique perspective on what it's like. I mean, you know, given all that you've experienced and you know, how likely do you think that is? you know, given how, how much they watch you in, in different circumstances in prison? Well, to be honest with you, that guy was a billionaire, okay? <clears throat> now, I've never been a billionaire, all right? So, but when I go to, when I when I get locked up and I'm in jail, you know, I really don't know, I know what I go through if I was a billionaire and all of a sudden this life that I had had for my entire life, well, like Bernie. Bernie used to uh, blow me away. Here's the guy, Bernie Madoff. I mean, like, he was a billionaire. Uh, Bernie, <laughs> money beyond belief. And there he is in prison with me in a small little... In fact, I was in a cell, you know. And I'm thinking, what's going through his mind, you know? Because I, I tell him, I said, you've never been in jail, have you? You know, I grew up. I mean, I, from a juvenile, reform schools. My life has been a continual... In and out, in and out. But when I meet these guys that have never, ever been in jail, not even for a drunk driving, right? And how would you be like you're 60 or 65 or 70 years old and all of a sudden you're in prison? You know, you've never done a day. People don't, they don't understand what somebody like that might be going through. Whether he committed suicide or whether he didn't, you know, I would imagine that would be a way out for a guy like that. He's thinking, hey, you know what I mean? Uh, life as I know it is over, so, you know, I might as well go. That's um, true. Yeah, a lot of people have speculated that. I just, well, he was fighting. He was trying to get the bail. He was trying to get out of there, appealing the bail. Um, I I feel like it's all possible. I feel like it's very likely, yeah, like you said, you know, that um, he went from, you know, the billionaire playboy, you know, quote, unquote, to – in fucking jail, so that's got to be a shock. Yeah. You know, like I tell people, you know, people say, what's it like to be in prison? I said, well, picture this. Picture spending a decade at Walmart, never leaving Walmart, except maybe to go out in the parking lot and call out the yard and do a little walking. Now, if I tell that to people, the average person 
in their wildest imagination can't even begin to conceive of what that's like. And it affects different people different ways. It affected me one way, you know, but, you know, I, I don't, I know that I'm unusual, uh, and I know I'm not normal. I'm not even normal when you consider the average prisoners that I was locked up with. I didn't get, you know, I didn't belong inside. I don't belong outside. I don't belong anywhere. So I just learned to internalize everything. And I think that's why I'm a good writer. You know, did why you write a book in prison? I wrote, I wrote many books in prison. I have four out that are released. A lot of them I haven't released yet. Some of them, uh, I, I've written good books and thrown them away just because I didn't think they were all that. You know, I really want, when I put a book out, I want it, you know, my name on it. I want it to be something. You know, and I, and what everything are some I've of your books written, for the, What are some of the books for your listeners? I have one. It's, it's just a memoir. It's called Monkey House. Monkey House was a, a bad mistake at my point. I didn't know about search engine optimization. I just gave it that title while I was in Butner. Butner was a collection of the psychiatric unit, a physical hospital, and a hideout for gang dropouts. And then it was a high-powered unit for people that might be targets to get killed just because of their notoriety. Bernie Madoff would get killed in a lot of prisons, not because he's not he did anything just because there's people that will kill you for that 15 minutes of fame that Andy Warhol always talked about. Yeah, I'm the guy that killed Bernie Madoff. I mean, for 15 minutes, you know, the guy, you have people that think like that. So Butner was a place to be there. It was high powered or you had, I have a heart condition. All right. Like my heart's shot. So like I'm, they have to keep me in what's known as a level three medical facility. Butner's medical. Bernie has a heart problem. He also lost a kidney. He has medical conditions that they don't even talk about. But that's how we hooked up there. Jonathan Pollard, same thing. He was high-powered. You know, he's got the Israeli government coming over there, Netanyahu. Everybody's coming over. They want him back in Israel, you know, and the government doesn't want to let him go. He was there for 30 years, uh, lived next door to Bernie. You know, I was with one of the top Tong leaders. He's in my book. I call him Mr. Wu. That's not his real name, but, you know, it would be hard to pronounce otherwise. Joy Testa, Carmine Persico, head of the Colombo crime family. You know, Persico is like his, he made his, he, he made his bones on the anesthesia hit in New York in 1957. You know, the guy that got shot in the barber chair at the Sheraton Hotel. All these people, all the people in my book, all the people in my series that I'm getting ready to get produced out there right now, you can Google every one of them, and they're like a who's who, a rogues gallery, and I was in this small place with everybody. Being a writer, it was rich for me, you know. The only person that I didn't write about his stories was uh, Nicky Scarfall. You know, I spent his last birthday, he was 87, he died two weeks before I left, right? And I said, Nicky, why don't you write about this stuff, man? He said, Ralph, I wouldn't feel right about it. He was like last of the old school. Nicky Scarfle, man. I mean, like Frank Sinatra was top friend. He could take you back to see Sinatra. Nicky Scarfle was in Atlantic City. He sold Trump the property for uh, the Taj Mahal when Trump built that casino down there. 
In fact, during the last presidential election, then the, the Department of Justice was down there jacking up Nikki Scarfle, and they were trying to get uh, Madoff, you know, to give him any kind of dirt on Trump, you know, even though the press said that Hillary was a shoe-in, uh, certain to be elected. They were scared, and they knew it was a bunch of bullshit, and they wanted something. And Scoffle could have walked. They could have even done something for uh, um, Bernie, you know what I mean? And, you know, they, these guys are just it, – it's strange. It was weird. But anyway, Monkey House is wrong for me because I use that as a title, and people do not relate the title Monkey House with Bernie Madoff or anything book. In fact, we've got this guy that there's a book called Welcome to the Money Monkey House. I think it was a Kirk Bulgernaut. And, you know, it just screwed my book rankings just all the hell. I've since learned how to change that, you know, by just adding two words, Monkey House, Ralph Griffith, and Bernie Madoff. You know, you'll get three pages of hits on me. But if you just put books about Bernie Madoff, Monkey House won't even come up, even though Monkey House is the only book that is tells a true story about Madoff, about who Madoff is, is my book. All the rest of the books, they just slapped this picture on the cover and copied some articles that they got out of magazines. Or, and it's, they're, they're bullshit, you know. And uh, I lived with the guy. I mean, for seven years, I know Bernie better than I know my wife, you know, better than I know my own parents. Who called we had. We had nowhere to go, you know what I mean? It was just kick it, you know what I mean? That's what we did. So how are you doing? I'm doing good. Just out of curiosity, do you think you would have still been an author if you hadn't have done any of the crimes that you had uh, that you had committed? You know, I started writing 16 years ago when I went back for the last time. And uh, this is a true story. I was going to write this one book. I just thought everybody has a book in them. I was going to write one book. Then I figured I'd just go ahead and commit suicide. I mean, I wasn't going to hang around. So Did I wrote this one. No, I wrote this book, and all of a sudden I discovered that I enjoyed writing. And as soon as I finished the first book, I started writing another book. And it just developed. If I knew what I knew then, I mean, I didn't realize what a difficult journey I would be heading down, you know, as a writer, you know, it's very difficult, especially if you're unknown. The reason I, 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 the reason I released Monkey House first is that nobody knows who Ralph Griffith was at the time, but Bernie Madoff, he's known worldwide. You go to China, mention this name, they know who Bernie Madoff is. You go to Russia, they know who Bernie Madoff is. You go to the Amazon jungle down in Brazil, they mentioned Bernie Madoff to a bunch of uh, people running around loincloths, and they'll start jumping up and probably shoot some blow darts at you. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you go, they know about Bernie Madoff. So I said, this is an opportunity. It's like, it's like when they put, uh, you know, Marco Polo got coming back to Europe, right, gets captured in the sea battle. And back in the old days, what they did is if you got captured and they thought you had any value, they'd imprison you and hold you for ransom. So he gets put in a prison, and they put him in a cell with this romance writer of Italian novels that was doing time. And Marco Polo and this guy are in a cell together, and Marco Polo starts telling him about what he did. And the guy wrote the book. Otherwise, we would never known about Marco Polo. Man, what a world-changing event that was. But I just kind of equate, I equate that with 
myself and Bernie. I didn't plan on, I have no control over where I'm going to go in the Bureau of Prisons. I just, one day I was in Arkansas and the next day my unit manager comes by and says, you're being transferred because of your heart condition to Butner. And I did know that Bernie was in Butner and I thought, well, we'll see what this, you know, comes of this. I ended up spending seven years with him, you know, and that's a lot of time. The guy that committed the largest financial crime in the history of the planet. And, uh, well, it's you know, not uncommon to, you know, have a, a weird high profile cellmate that then come out writing a book because I heard that's exactly what happened with, uh, Tommy Chong and the Wolf of Wall Street. They were, yeah. um, they were buddies and, you know, they were in the same cell and then, uh, I guess, the one guy, uh, I can't remember his Wolf Wall Street name. Jordan Belfort. Right, Jordan Belfort. <laughs> he knows that one for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he never wrote a book, I, I I think, and then he ended up writing that one and became a movie and all his popularity. So, you know, wish you the best. Hey, well, you know who right now, uh, I was contacted by some uh, movie people, right? And they were doing a movie called Silk Road, right? I assumed they were talking about you know, Dred Scott Pirate, right? The guy that was running Silk Road out of San Francisco. He got life in prison. And it turns out it wasn't. They just picked the title, you know. But before I found out, you know, I said, well, do you know where he's at? And they said, no. So, like, I got on. I looked it up. He's in he's in uh, Tucson, Arizona right now doing life. And uh there's been, they've already come out in books. You know, they're going to do a movie on the guy. It was, it was a fascinating, it's a fascinating story, you know. And if they turn me back in, he's in the medical facility. They'd probably, I'd probably end up being his cell. That's just how it is when I go in. You know what I mean? They try to like pair you up with somebody that's intellectually, you know, at your level, you know. And, uh. Do you, uh, um, do you plan on robbing any more banks? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you could kick my ass. Like, I'd be like an author, but you're like, you really sound like you could kick my ass. I'd be like, <laughs> like, hey, like, listen. You know, if I was going to, you know, here's the, the problem with that, though, the whole world technology has changed things, you know. And I've been asked that over and over, and I said, well, yeah, when I get back to San Francisco, you know, I went down, I walked down memory lane, and I was looking around, and everywhere's like bulletproof glass, you know, everywhere's got armed guards to the, the max. I said, this city is fortified. I mean, it was it wasn't like that back in the day. You know what I mean? What now were the, it's what were the best stretch of years to to rob banks? Like, was there a, a certain stretch that uh, you know was easier than most? Before technology, you know. Before everybody had a cell phone, you know what I mean? And all the streets were, you know, camered down so they can sit there and you know, I mean. You take a city like Manhattan, I bet you even St. Louis is, uh, I bet you if you look up at the stop signs and the red lights and shit, I bet you'll see cameras up there and they're time stamped, you know what I mean? It's everywhere on highways it's and everywhere. Everything. Oh yeah, it's, it's everywhere, you know what I mean? It's, did you ever get a high from Robin Banks? Did you ever, did you do it solely for the money or did you ever get like a, like a personal high from, you know, no. what could happen? No. It's Just strictly for the money? money? Strictly for the money, you have to, you know. Yeah. You know. Some people do get a high from it, though. Some people, you know, it because of it. You know, I, I, yeah, I would have, I would have got high going in maybe to a really hot strip joint, blasted on coke. That's high, okay. <laughs> going, going in where you can get shot to death is not a high, and, and at least 
Not for me, you know what I mean? I would what consider was, What were the your things you spent the money on? Like uh, strippers or? Oh, you know, just, no, nah, just, you know. Not me. I, I have, I had a, before I even got into that, I was involved in other things, all right? And basically by the time I was in my early 30s, the only thing I knew how to do was spend money. Unfortunately, I hadn't developed any skill sets skill sets to really earn any money, but, you know, uh, you know, having lots of money and, and needing lots of money, uh, it's, uh, it gets more difficult. It feels that I got. When I was younger, it came very earlier. I actually started back in the 60s. Uh, I have a book out called uh, Summer of Love, 1967, and it was about when I, I was a 15-year-old runaway in Haight-Ashbury that summer. Ran into some people that knew Osley, Stanley Augusta Osley, who's practically the creator of LSD. And uh, there's an interesting character there that's got a lot of books on. But uh, in the hate back then, it was like Woodstock that lasted for about six months right there in San Francisco in the district, in the Victorian district. That was the hate scene. And... uh I was back there, and as a 15-year-old runaway, I got involved in this. I started selling LSD. I went to Hollywood a couple times that summer. Went back to New York, the village. Uh, so, like, really, my career goes back to 1967, 1966. And, you had said um, earlier about, um, you know, how you see some of the movies and the media kind of glamorizing, you know, Robin Banks and... and Kind of criminal. Do you do you see the same kind of theme in in that kind of world? You know the uh, the dead scene, just the drugs, and I mean, what do you think of all that? It's it's basically the same thing. I, my wife watches television. I never watched TV when I was inside, and since I've gotten out, my wife says, "Well, you got to watch this. You got to watch that." And I was watching this show. Have you ever heard of it? It's called The Animal Kingdom of Ellen Barkin. I don't no. think so. <laughs> Oh, my God, the animal kingdom. It's about a family and this uh, woman, Ellen Barkin. She's old-time actress. And uh, they pull mostly bank robbers, but they run armored cars and things. And it's it's really, really good. You know, it's like, uh, I'm surprised you haven't heard that. You live in St. Louis. <laughs> no, I, all I have is YouTube. I don't really watch TV. Well, this, this is... Animal Kingdom, if you get a chance, you should watch it, you know, Ellen Barkin. And uh, they've gotten all kinds of awards and shit, but it, it, it's pretty hardcore. I, I, You know, it takes a lot to attract my interest, but uh, and they flash back to the 60s when she started off and then her kids out in Huntington Beach, out in L.A. and shit. So and I also ghost wrote for uh, some people, too. I, I wrote for... Uh, one of the founders of the Crips, you know, I uh, wrote a 700-page uh, sort of his what's memoir. It, what's it like ghostwriting for one of the members of the Crips? Because is that an intense situation? Or are you just kind of like half-shitting yourself the whole time? Or how was that? Well, here's the deal. <laughs> I, was in a, I was in a place called Victorville. It's out in California, a federal facility. And... I was taking over a lot of jobs. I took over this office type thing. It was like on the compound. And I, I replaced a lot of black inmates as the clerk. And 
not being a complete idiot, you know, this guy wanted to, you know, was interested in getting his book ghostwritten. I said, I'll take care of your book for you. And I gave him a good price. And he kept all the heat off me. So basically, you know what I mean? Those people wanted to kill me. How'd that white boy get in there and get that job? You know what I mean? Uh, his name was Gangster, by the way, and that's the name of the book. And uh, he says, you know what, you leave that man alone, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, that's what I did. I've always, I was a law clerk in there too, you know, and I always made sure that I got the shot caller or something, so either doing legal work or writing for him, you know. And I uh, I also go through it for a guy that was from Armenia, which is where the Caucasus, which is where all the Russian mafia members came out of, you know. In fact, if you tell a Russian, if you call them a Caucasian, they get really upset because that's like saying, you know, <laughs> you're like a gangster or you're just, a, you know, trash or something, you know. But uh, and it was really, not only did I make money from it, but I got the whole history of organized crime from the end of the Soviet Empire to when it broke up under Yeltsin when the Chechens were running crazy through there, all the way up to Putin taking over and, you know, KGB and the, or the real Russian mafia. And by the way, there's no such word as mafia in Russia. They're called Vor. And the word Vor, B-O-R, means like, it's, it means thief. And a, 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 a Russian mob boss is a, a, what they call a thief in law. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of, <laughs> I, I learned, I learned a lot that I could probably write a book on it. And you'd think of a, a Russian guy. In fact, I did when I wrote it. He says, go ahead and write it in your voice. And I did. And, uh, people, they don't know. I mean, I could write a book. You'd think I was black. You know, I'm not, I'm white, but you know, I'm a writer and, and it's my job to my characters to, you know, really get into them. And that's what I do. When I, when I well, you can do whatever you want to these days, so go for it. And dude, uh, yeah. Badass man, the book, Monkey House, and every book he's fucking written. Do you have any social media you want to throw out before we get on here? Yeah. Um, now this, I'm looking here at the St. Louis Times. Is that like uh, digital, or do you guys do print media, or your weekly alternative news mag, uh, or are you? It's, uh, it's digital, basically. Digital yeah. based. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, cause I am going to check it out. And, are you promoting uh, my, are you promoting my, uh, my newspaper as your plug? <laughs> <laughs> I might. <laughs> I feel like you just did. Hey, like, oh, I oh, see this. I got a picture of Anthony. I got a picture, I got a picture of Anthony here of, uh, it looks like a gun in his hand. But what really attracted me, the guy and why I connected with him on LinkedIn was the fact that he says, I want everybody to just treat me like any great man that you would come across. And I said, yeah. Yeah, just treat me like any other great man. I know, <laughs> I, know I, get, I could go out drinking with this guy. we get along just perfect. You know what I mean? <laughs> because, you, you know, think at some point you could teach me how to make a shank? Well, actually, you know, believe it or not, you know those things uh, that you slip in the shower? They're like, a, oh, they're about three inches uh, wide and about 20 inches long, right? They're like no slip strips, right? But you can tell, I've seen a guy take a piece of metal and use that and actually create a knife in like, you know, five minutes, you know, by hand. 
Well, dude, we gotta get out of here. We got a hell of a guest, but dude, I've talked to you like four more hours. But, like, we'll, we'll probably have you on another one, honestly, just like just discuss like one subject or something. But dude, like, thanks for I appreciate like uh, coming on. Buy us fucking book, Monkey House. If you make that TV show, I'll be in it. Um, <laughs> shameless plug. I have all you guys in it, all right? Because we're going to need a lot of fucking strange people. And I told him, I said, you can't use, you cannot use known characters in this. Oh, you know, sorry, and I, I told him, I said, I'll play myself. I'll do the voiceovers. But nobody can be, you know, you can't put Brad Pitt in there, okay? It just would work, you know. You know They're what I mean? Hollywood. They're all pedophiles. you got to use people like me. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> became pedophiles, bro. Anyway, dude, th- thanks, Ralph Griffith, everybody. Um, Monkey House is hey. book. Uh, buy it, buy it. Fucking ten copies distributed among your family and friends. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Ralph. Well, hey, hey, yeah, I appreciate it, and it keeps me from going back into banks, man. As long as I keep buying the books. Okay. <laughs> buy his book, or he's robbing your bank. Buy a book, or that's what I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> well, take care, bro. All right, all right, bro. Bye.